everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Okay, guys, we got a great conversation uh, today. We're going to talk to Jim Morgan. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know how many years, 20, 25 years, Katahdin breeder, uh, worked with KHSI most of all of those years as well. So uh, we're going to talk about his early life uh, as a child growing up in Kansas and kind of about his educational background and how he got into sheep and um, what led him into farmer's market and and selling meat and uh, working for KHSI. So uh, sit back and enjoy. This is episode 24 of our Sheep Things podcast with Dr. Jim Morgan. Well, Jim, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and excited to, to hear from you today. Yeah, thank, yeah, it's great, great being invited and been wanting to do this for several months and it's finally got yeah. around to it. Yep. Oh, it's great to finally be able to do that. So maybe why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself, kind of your history, um, how you grew up and maybe your history in agriculture and, and uh, we can kind of walk through that. You know, I grew up on a diversified family farm in, in central Kansas um, in town of Hutchinson, northwest of um, Wichita, about 50 miles. Uh, went to a small rural high school and not, not in Hutchinson, which is 40,000. We raised, the main crops were beef, wheat, and, uh, and grain sorghum. And we also, in my younger years, we also raised some barley and alfalfa, but, and, and, and silage. I scooped my share of silage, definitely handled my fair share of square bales, uh, <laughs> that, the, the square bales disappeared when my three brothers and I went off to college. Um, and da yeah, dad was older at the time, so that was fine. You know, and it was a family operation, you know, by the time I was eight or nine, I was driving a tractor in the field. You know, by the time I was 12, there'd be four, 14 hour days in the summer in, on the tractor. I always remembered that uh, it, it could be nice to turn 16, you know, because my two older brothers that were 16 and 17, Friday night and Saturday night came around and they came out of the field at six o'clock. But since I was too young to go out on the town, I had to stay till it got dark. And in Kansas, that was close to 10, 9, 30, 10 o'clock. So you had to be 16 to be able to go into town on Friday and Saturday night and not spend it on a tractor. So we did quite a bit. We did have a fair amount of projects in 4-H. You know, most of the time I, that I was in 4-H, I was enrolled in 10 or 15 projects. Uh, somewhere around, I have more ribbons than you want to look at. Uh, 
because I don't know if that's an admission that a lot of people would be amazed at. I remember John Stromquist, who was very active in the breed, and he says, Jim, you don't know what a ribbon's like. And I said, I've got more ribbons than you want. You could shake a fist at. Jim, Jim, the secret so, show guy. So I've, I've had, well, back in, the, back in the 60s, they didn't have EBVs. Um, and, you know, confirmation and comparing sheep at an event or cattle uh, was uh, was the only way. And um, and over, you know, and dad just kept deciding, oh, we needed hogs, uh, we needed sheep. And so, and the hogs turned out pretty well. Um, I, I enjoyed hogs and raising hogs. And, um, and I think we ended up marketing probably 500 pigs a year uh, that started with the 4-H project. Um, and then we tried sheep and um, blackface sheep and um, tried to treat them like cattle and, hmm. and it did not work at all. You know, and, you know, there've been a few, you know, now I could have done a little better job treat knowing wh which shortcuts you can't take with blackface sheep. You know, there are, there are a few things if we'd done that, you know, we'd had a lot more lamb survive, but it definitely didn't care for sheep. And, uh, and so a lot of emphasis on education in our family. Uh, dad tried, he said, I'm not trying to get you guys into science, but then that's all he talked about and what he ended up with a very diverse biology degree, you know, you know, all the way from molecular biology to ecology with, with a, a lot of courses, you know, wow, that, that's, yeah, that's awesome. You know, you know, and that, you know, which is, you know, over time and along with my graduate school has tempered how I approach sheep and farming, mm -hmm. you know, to me, it's a lot more interesting coming back to farming after, after school, you know, after graduate school, knowing ecology, knowing, be, you know, having had courses in behavior, having interacted with a lot of people in behavior departments, you know, going to seminars with the full range, you know, and, and to me, that's the interesting part and part of what I'm driven in, driven with the sheep, you know, with working with sheep and working for the Katahdin Association is to, uh, here we have all this information we can make much better choices on how we manage sheep and select sheep uh, if we have the right people explaining the science part of it. Yeah. And always, and always use the, the term appropriate science. You know, I'm not, not out, you know, science, you know, science for science sake, you know, I'm not out to say we need, yeah, you can get sheep to grow a lot better if you use a lot of pharmaceuticals, but I'm more into using appropriate science uh, for that. You know, when I've written articles for Canadian sheep magazines, you know, my byline always has interested in education and using appropriate science to help shepherds be more yeah. productive. That's awesome. Okay, so, so with your farming operation then, um, what did you guys primarily raise? What were you, what was the major income stream of your operation? Or were you guys kind of diversified? How how did your farm work? It was, it was, you know, the term that was always used 
there and as far as far as I still know is diversified family farm and so we so we were about a third beef cattle a third winter wheat and a third grain sorghum so we had you know a fall planted crop and and then a spring planted crop and then would raise hay hay for the cattle in mm -hmm. uh, in the in my earlier years um we ra also raised barley and alfalfa you know and everybody needs the experience of shoveling barley if they haven't um it makes it makes handling wheat seem like you're no dust and no itch. I mean, barley is one of, you know, and I never have done oats, but barley and grain sorghum are definitely uh, have a lot more itch to them. And, and I, I, I shoveled, shoveled my fair share before we got the augers um, back in the sixties. And I always remember my dad pointed up, we had this one grain bin, old wooden grain bin from the twenties. And dad said, well, you see that, place about you know about 10 foot up up there he says my your granddad could throw grain in a six inch by two foot wide slot 10 foot up and never miss a single grain fall on the ground mm -hmm. i know i know there are i know there I'm glad we've lost those skills, uh, and, but uh, you know, I definitely, you know, was able to do that. You know, I've done my share share of handling, the, you know, square bales, but yeah, it was, it was diversified. You know, those are things. You know, with 4-H, we tried a few other animals with 4-H. You know, and we, you know, as I mentioned before, we added sheep and hogs, and uh, hogs worked well for several years, and uh, sheep never really did on our farm because we tried to treat black-faced sheep like cattle yeah and and, and were you primarily with the hogs were you raising um piglets and and you know having sows were that were having piglets or were you guys just buying piglets and finishing them out no we 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 raised raised them to fin from pig from uh birthing to okay to to, to finished weight yeah and then and did well for several years, you know, but, uh, you know, there and, the, you know, that the ver vertically integrated, you know, we got out before the vertically integrated farming became really big, but I'm pretty much, you know, nowadays, you know, hog, hog, the major hog producers are all working for Tyson's or Smithland um, or other, other major producers. But so it was, it was back when yeah. you could take pig, you know, there'd be a market within, 20 to 50 miles that you could take, hmm. you know, you know, 50 or a hundred hogs to and, and make money. Yeah. And the hog, you know, I always remember showing hogs, you know, by the, you didn't ever have to work with them, but you'd show up to them, give them a bath at the fairgrounds, scratch them three times, then you could go in the show ring with them. <laughs> and I, I mean, so much easier than, uh, than getting cattle and sheep ready uh, for the show ring. And then the, and then after, yes, yeah, I guess I told some stories about, um, a couple of interesting stories about farming. It was, so by the time I was, you know, 10 or 10 to 12, I, you know, I was spending, 
you know, in the summer, you know, not every day, of course, but you couldn't be in the field every day. And with three other brothers, you know, jobs were split up skill and, and muscle wise, you know, if they needed a lot of muscle, then I would be on the tractor and my two older brothers would, would be working if they needed, uh, you know, if they needed more skill on the tractor when I was 10, then they'd put an, an older brother on the tractor. So it depend on, depended on the operation and complexity. And so it was good working that way. I am, remember when I was 12, I was looking forward to turning 16 because my older brothers, uh, when they were 16 and 17, they could get off work Friday and Saturday night at 5.30 or six and go into town. And when I was 12, you know, I couldn't go, you know, I wasn't old enough to go on the town. So I, I would stay driving the tractor till I was, till nine, 10 o'clock at night, which is about the time that the sun set in, uh, in central Kansas. So it, it yeah, you know, that's working some that, long days. <laughs> yeah, but it was some long days, but that was just thought, you know, that's just part of the family farm. It was enjoyed it and, and it was fun and, and it was, you know, it was, it was a team, team effort. Yeah. He, you know, went off to college at a small school in South Central Kansas called Southwestern College. It's in Winfield, Kansas, about 60 miles south of Wichita and 15 miles north of the Oklahoma border. Um, mm. And enjoyed, really enjoyed the uh, small, small community atmosphere, the ability to be able to drop in on any, any professor and chat with them for 10 or 15 minutes and picked up a very diverse uh, set of coursework in biology. And, you know, which is, you know, at that time I had no intention of coming back and farming, um, but it, having that biology background has really impacted the way, the way I raise sheep and the way that I work for the Katahdin Association. Yeah. So you say you have, you had no interest in coming back in farming and, and here you are working for a large ag organization and, uh, and you're um, <laughs> raising sheep and, and in agriculture, or did you have something different in mind? And, and, and uh, well, what was that? Well, the, you know, Teresa, you know, I met Teresa in graduate school in Oregon and she got a job in Fayetteville, Arkansas. <laughs> uh, so Teresa, you know, met Teresa and she took a job back here in Oklahoma and then in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I originally planned on, on teaching at a small college and, and it, it turned out that uh, her, her job was good. And then, uh, and she was working in the field of sustainable ag information. Um, and, and in nine, you know, in 1993, uh, we moved and to some property near an apple orchard and, and nursery, and mm -hmm. and in '94 they decided to add sheep, and I said, "That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. They die. <laughs> uh, they'll come out and find them dead." They, they always sneeze on you and blow snot on you. I you know, I knew, this is the stupidest thing I ever heard. And so, but they had a bunch of grass that wasn't being used. And so, you know, instead of mowing up, they might as well raise sheep. And, and 
Teresa had friends that, uh, you, know, you know, actually founders of the, you know, Katahdin Association, Ed Martzoff and Laura yeah. Callen Fortmeyer. Uh, we knew them well. And so uh, the, the neighbors bought Katahdins. Yeah. And they had a small flock and, um, and they, they were a small, a small orchard and were selling um, trees, fruit trees across the Eastern US that didn't require spraying as much as most trees do. Mm -hmm. And, and so they got busy and they couldn't afford a ram. So um, Teresa bought a Katahdin ram. And, um, and so she owned a sheep. I said, okay, um, the ownership of the, that the fact that there's a sheep owned uh, stops at the Arkansas border. My, <laughs> my family will never find out about my owning sheep. And, uh, or sort of owning sheep. And, and Teresa made more money than I did. I did. And so I, 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 I couldn't say no. And so a couple of years went by and the neighbors said, well, we're running out of time. The nursery and the orchard, we need to sell the sheep. I said, you can't sell these sheep. These are real sheep. They take care of their young. You know, they, they belong in the mammal family, you know, because yeah. you know, trying, you know, the, the totally hands off with black faced sheep when I was in 4-H uh, was not successful. So, so in 97, we bought the sheep flock and managed it on our neighbor's land and then gradually extended to where we were leasing several pastures and then in 19, oh. 1998, the year after we took over the flock, the, the Katahdin Hair Sheep International Annual Meeting was in Arkansas on Petty Jean Mountain. And we went and um, had a great time. Took my first hair coat inspection course, even though it didn't count. And we joined on site. And, and there, while at the meeting, uh, Laura Fortmeyer announced that she was retiring from the job, that she couldn't keep it up, family obligations. And um, Teresa was sort of looking for a little release time from um, managing, you know, 40 employees. So she applied for the job and became operations manager for, yeah. the, for the Katahdin Association. And during that, that, you know, so she started in, at the end of January of 1999. And that was about the time that I started, you know, becoming more intrigued with how to make Katahdin's work in a grazing system. Mm -hmm. And, and so good, good. And yeah. I started to work at direct marketing lamb too. Yeah. So it's really, really cool stuff that we'll, we'll jump into, I guess to, to pause there and kind of jump way back. So, or maybe it wasn't, probably not that far back, but, um, so you said you went and got your undergraduate degree there in Kansas, then, um, maybe tell us a little bit about your graduate education and, and, uh, what, what you majored in and, and, uh, so, so I, you know, I emphasized physiology in undergrad and then went on to, and got a master's in, um, in physiology with a specialty in, in endocrinology and, okay. and then, at University of Oregon, and mm. then I moved up the valley uh, for a, and got my PhD at 
at o Oregon State University with an emphasis more in neurophysiology and neuroendocrinology, still working with the same type of hormones uh, that yeah. I did, did as did as a master's student, but more with how they impacted neural function. Okay. And and finished up in Oregon and then and Teresa and I had lived separate for a few years and I joined Teresa in Fayetteville, Arkansas and worked for a couple of years doing research. You know, it, it was getting technical, but ion transport across the stomach membrane. And then, and then at that point, I started doing part-time teaching at a nursing school. And so, yeah. So, and, and, and part-time teaching was that while you were doing your, your doctorate degree in, in Oregon or when you're back in Arkansas? No, that was the part-time teaching was there, you know, after I had my PhD, of course, okay. all, all, you know, all the way through my master's and my PhD, I was a teaching assistant okay. and taught, taught labs you know, taught an occasional lecture, but mostly in the sciences it'd be a teaching assistant. So I had a fair amount of a teaching experience Yeah. in, in graduate school. And then, uh, and then when I started teaching the nursing school, I realized that that's, you know, that's what I really enjoyed was helping people learn more, you know, wanting to assist, assist people in learning more. And, uh, and that, you know, I enjoyed that. And then uh, that position ended and I, you know, they didn't, they didn't need my position any longer. Um, you know, they changed the management of the school. And I, and during that period, I'd also started doing some research in poultry science. And so I've also done some, done some work with chickens with the uh, effect of photo periods on stress. Oh, wow. And, um, and so forth, trying, you know, again, trying to use my biological background in agriculture. And it's is, is definitely, you know, while I'm, I, while I'm not a big pulp, you know, I'm not in the two confinement operations. Uh, I did learn a fair amount about growth and genetics while in the poultry science, which was, you know, you know, which I didn't, which I didn't get as a biologist you know, and in my biological training, but I picked up some of that, you know, it's helpful in understanding how genetics, more about how genetics works on, on meat production. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. And did you find that a lot of that transferred over to, to, to the sheep and genetic selection there? Or is it, is it fairly different? Well, I mean, it, well, the <laughs> reproduction and genetics and DNA all works, you know, pretty much the same way, but did you well, uh, like were there some transferable I'll back, I'll back up a step you know and I sort of mentioned it earlier that you know you know having a broad background in biology mm -hmm. uh, you know I mean all animals have to all animals whether it's a in, insect or a fish a sheep or a cow and they all have to modify their environment, eat food, yep. transform it, and reproduce. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and so the general principles are all the same. You just have to understand the uh, you know the different you know a few differences. So it, it was for you know coming coming from a farming background, 
so that I understood what the issues were in farming and yeah. applying the, you know, all the biology and science I had to that made a very, and I'll use the word integrated, very integrated holistic mm -hmm. approach to, to farming and I've been able to transition. And, and you know, 98% of the time, you know, I, I make the right, right jumper decision but about one or two percent of the time there's something unique about sheep you know like the difference in horn heritability between sheep and cattle cattle oh, okay. it's, cattle it's real easy they're either polled or horned and polled <laughs> dominant you know and yeah and 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 sheep you, you can get about any you know as, as all of us that raise katahdins you know you can get about any horn pat horn or skirt pattern possible so it's a lot more complex. yeah so that's an example of how, you know, I, I remember I made the initial thought that, oh, well, the horn's going to be easy with sheep, you know, it's easy to cattle, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, and, it, and it's not. I had one lamb a few years ago that had a set of horns and a set of skirts that were coming up beneath the set of horns. It was a interesting little lamb. <laughs> Sounds like it had some of that Jacob or, uh, or churro type, and they, the four horn type. Yeah. In there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah I, it was a weird looking little thing, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, so after your education then, um, so did you guys meet in Kansas or, um, you and Teresa or did you guys meet uh, uh, at the at college or, and then you said, no, you know, no, the, the first day where I was doing an orientation and, um, biology department where I got my master's at the University of Oregon, um, uh, Teresa was one of the, I mean, we're the same age, but she started, at, I mean, this is her second year at Oregon and my fr first day, and, and we met, met that first day. Um, and there was some attraction from the start, but I mean, we didn't really start doing much together for several months. Yeah, so. I mean, there are a lot of graduate student parties on our floor, and her office was across the hall, you know, about 50 feet from mine. So, but anyway, we we met there, and and uh, it 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 went well over the years. Um, other than the fact that she finished before I did, and I went up to Corvallis, and she went to Oklahoma and Arkansas, and and it took me a few years to finish, and uh, but we ended up together and. In Fayetteville, she had a, mm -hmm. she, had, you know, as I think I mentioned earlier, she had that job with, uh, you know, with the, the National Center for Appropriate Technology, their um, agricultural information system. You know, at at that time, okay. yeah, that, you know, and 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 that's part of how she got the job with the Katahdin Association is that they knew that she had a very a lot of experience in 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 uh, information and writing and, and education and, 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 and farm animals. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Awesome. So then to jump forward again, back to where you were talking about, so right, right after the associations kind of form getting going and you guys went to your first meeting and started, um, started working for the association after you had your, your, uh, new flock there, new walk us through what, what was that like? And, and what were, I guess I'm always curious, what were those early Katahdins like? Have you seen, like, are they, were they 
substantially different than they are today or pretty much very similar? Uh, they're, I know, they're, they're similar. I think they're a little, possibly a little hardier back then. Um, right. You know, for two, two, and again, I don't have all the proof, but my observation is that they were going to be smaller. You know, I know we definitely have larger sheep now. And part of that is those early days, most of the, most of the Katahdin members were, were oriented toward grass so they, and doing only grass, you know, and part of that is that they were misfits in the sheep world because they didn't, they didn't they want the heresy of not having hair. And they also tended to be different than uh, the traditional Eastern flocks that, you know, that were doing more, you know, you know, get the, get the lambs on the feed and get them out the door and the, you know, the, the Suffolk model. And yeah. so a lot of the producers were more grass oriented and a lot of the emphasis was on grass based production. But with the, the sheep being smaller, it was a little harder to reach target weights. And, hmm. and then, so the sheep were, I mean, the sheep weren't that much different, but I do think that, you know, that heterosis has changed. So most of the sheep that were available in the 98 to 2001 that were registered, I never, they would have had a grand, a grandparent that was 25% wool sheep. Hmm. So that we, so just about every flock was gradient at that, you know, we got in just about the time that almost every flock was still involved in grading up from wool sheep that they had any numbers. Yeah. And so, and that, that made for a difference. So hair code, hair code inspection was very important. And, uh, and a year before we became involved in the association and joined the association, they quit requiring that every sheep be inspected at a year of age before they could be, go from a temporary Hmm. registration number to full registration yeah yeah that's something that i've wondered about because i know i think there's another breed association i forget which one it is but they have a set of characteristics that they have to meet in order to actually be registered as purebred um, like they have to go through it's not just if you have the parentage they have to actually have to meet a certain set of qualifications and i know Catan's had that early on. Um, what was the, I guess the the reason to to change that? Do you do you know since that was right before you started? Or well, the, you know the, you know, there's a difference between the Katahdin and some of the others, and you know we may have value, you know, putting criteria on performance or something might have been, had value, but the, you know, the key thing about the Katahdins it was really just functional shedding, not mm -hmm. having, yep. not having to shear. That was that that's the criteria. Uh, and uh, so would you repeat that question i got i wanted to get that point in there and i lost the thread yeah no that that i think is a, a really important point because i think sometimes we i know well, i've it get so focused on hair code it's like we lose the whole benefit of of having hair sheep where we're not selecting on wool if we're selecting on hair coat and we're just selecting for a different a different characteristic but so, we lose that so, so er, early on you know you know, there was still, there wasn't really known how this grading up of wool sheep was going to work. Did, mm -hmm. were, were sheep going to revert to not shedding? No, well, they can. Uh, but for the most part, if you have a, a, 
a somewhat practiced eye. It doesn't have to be too practiced, but if you differentiate between a hair coat and a shedding wool sheet, you know, a shedding wool hair coat or wool and hair coat, uh, if you raise hair sheep, it just became that it was obvious you didn't need to inspect every sheep. And it was incredibly expensive. You know, there were, yeah. there were flocks in California, Washington, Montana, uh, Alberta, et cetera. And they all needed inspection and there were probably 30 inspectors. So yeah, the early inspectors might take a trip through New Mexico to California up to Washington and then back to Missouri. Uh, and early on, Barbara Peel paid for that, mm. you know, and then when that, when her money that she gave the Katahdin Association was getting closer to an end, they decided, look, things are working pretty good. We don't need to inspect sheep that have 200% parents. Yeah. Well, and just make sure that the sheep coming in uh, mm -hmm. do that chatting. So that, that was, so, so that they didn't have the luxury of inspecting every sheep and they also figured that it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah, no, it seems like a very pragmatic decision to make. So then, so Teresa started first with the, working for the association. When did, when did you start and, and how did that transition kind of occur for you guys? The, you know, I started helping out with the newsletter some and, you know, if Teresa was traveling for work, I'd answer the phone, mm. you know, and, and, and I really was getting into, you know, the biology and, and raising of the sheep and I was doing more of the hands-on sheep. So I was picking up more of the practical side, side of it. And what year, what year are we talking here? This would have been 98 to 2002. Um, and, and so it was that period that I really started getting involved. And then when she started doing newsletters, I started offering articles. Um, you know, I'd hear, hear questions that people would call in with or miss. And also at that point, the, there was an email listserv called Cat Chat that, you know, there were probably 20 to 40 posts a day. You know, probably, wow. no, you know, you know, that's a lot, you know, and it's all sorts of questions and a good information change. Uh, you know, it's sort of, you know, yeah. same thing sort of happened with Facebook, you know, you know, 20 yeah. years later. Um, and, and so that, you know, it's a place to exchange and learn. And then in um, 2002, in 2002, I realized that, you know, I was spending more time in the, when I was sitting in the poultry science office thinking about sheep than I was, was about the research problems I was supposed to be working on in the poultry science department. And I'd written a grant from USDA and when that ended, I talked, my, the lab I was working in and talked and I said, well, uh, I really want to go spend more time with the Katahdin Association. And so at the 2002 board meeting in Maine, uh, Teresa brought up to the board that, that I would do, be doing more of the work and the board agreed, you know, and by then they'd seen what both of us could do mm -hmm. and what our skills were. And so then I, you know, I started doing a lot more of the work and Teresa still, 
really helped with editing the newsletter. I mean, she's, she, she's, she's, you know, has been editing ag publications since the eighties, um, you know, or ag articles, maybe not, you know, nothing, you know, nothing quite as, you know, not as, you know, the Katahdin Herald is a finite size, you know, and, and the Katahdin Herald is sort of, you know, is where a lot of our focus was, you know, you know, in the early years, there's only a couple pages, you know, and, yeah. and then when Teresa started and I started adding articles, and, you know, it went to four to six. And then, you know, as I had more time and with only three or 400 members in the association, you know, I started writing more articles, you know, and I, you know, I became confident, uh, you know, I put out a few test articles, you know, like, you know, my first article, that I wrote that went to the shepherd and also to Sheep Canada was creep grazing lambs through frequency of, mo of rotation and um, young lambs, you know, 30 day old lambs. And so once I did that, then I was off and running. And for several years, I submitted articles to the Herald and, and also to the Shepherd magazine and, and to Sheep Canada. Yeah. Well, I know I've, I've enjoyed uh, going to the website and looking back at some of those, those really old Herald articles. And I mean, some of those from the nineties and uh, those are before I was, I was even here. And uh, anyways, <laughs> looking at through some of those, it's, it's pretty fun reading, reading some of those old articles and, and uh, seeing how far the breeds come from those three page Herald's to the, the uh, really high quality uh, publication that we have today. What? I have several of the heralds from the '90s scanned. Um, that's one mm -hmm. of my one of my tasks that I personally want to do this fall is to get, you know, is to add several more years of heralds uh, to to the Katahdin website. So you know, that's a, something that uh, that you and the Katahdin Association and Katahdin members can look forward to what what the how the herald has changed over time and yeah, what, be cool. some, what some of the things were. So I'm, you know, I, I scanned them and put them aside and been working on, you know, the, some of the other projects the board ha has asked me to do, but, but there, there are several of those long before that we were involved. Well, everyone hope you've enjoyed episode 24 of the sheep things podcast so far with uh, Jim Morgan. It's been a, a fun podcast. Neat to, to hear about him growing up. He's been so instrumental in the breed. I mean, I can say as a producer myself, I probably wouldn't still be raising sheep today if it wasn't for his advice and thoughts. Um, I, I probably would have stopped a long time ago without uh, the articles that he's written in the Herald and all the different places and the work that he's put in. Um, it's been really helpful for me to learn more about the industry and about Katahdin's and how to breed better Katahdin's. So I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit about him, his history, and kind of what he does uh, early on or what he did early on with his system. And stay tuned for next time to hear a little bit more about some of his thoughts on meat and marketing. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things Podcast. Stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback, so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.